The Lord be with you, everyone. And I want to share with you something I believe will be of help and encouragement to us in these specific days in which we live. And it's Psalm 27. And I think if you've been with us these many months, we've said that Psalm 27 and Psalm 23 belong very much at the same time in David's life. So let me read some verses here. Um, And it begins with the Lord in capital letters. And we know that means it's really the name of God, which is I am So I am is my light and my salvation or my deliverance. The word salvation uh, has a multitude of meanings all coming down to the same thing. And among those meanings, primarily it means deliverance from um, something that would seek to harm me. But salvation also means, of course, deliverance or uh, taken out of uh, release from sin, but also, which many people do not realize, the word means to be delivered from, released from sickness and disease. It's a sort of holistic word, covers everything. And, And he says, I am is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? I am is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? That's the great question. Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I dread? And then in verse 3, he's though though a host or a vast army encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war rise against me, in spite of this, I shall be confident. That is a magnificent opening to this psalm. And I I begin asking the question, how did he arrive there? How did he get to that point? And so right at the very end, he tells us, he says in verse 13, you know, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of I am in the land of the living. So wait or expect for I am. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for I am. And I had taken in the entire psalm in the light of that. I want to look at that verse 13 because that's the key to it. He said, yes, I started the psalm like that because I had arrived at a position. But if it, if it wasn't for something, then I would have despaired. Well, what was that something that stopped you from despairing and producing the kind of language that you used up there? Well, he said, unless, I would have despaired, unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So, There it is. What's he talking about? Well, go back to the context. I said it comes very much at the same time that he was writing Psalm 23. And without going into any historical details, uh, just uh, it it was a time of 
it would have to be mental darkness. There was so much going on against him, so many persons lying about him, so many things that were just plain wrong. It would have been, naturally speaking, mental darkness. You know, when you don't know where to turn, you don't know. Uh, it seems that the sides of your canyon are getting closer and closer and you're being squeezed in the middle of it. Uh, you would have to use the word hopeless because there was certainly no hope. There was no light at the end of any tunnel. It was a time when his life was under threat from more than one area. Uh, he'd suffered loss great loss and when he's writing these psalms the loss is now behind him and gone he's lost so much you could say that it was a time of chaos it was a chaos of fear and you had to introduce doubt there that going backwards and forwards between two things um it looked like God could be with, and on the other hand, if God's with, look at this, and backwards and forwards. Fear, despair, even depression, anxiety, you'd have to include that. He'd been abandoned, and he felt alone, and he felt terribly rejected, and he feels an outcast. And I look at people today and I see persons in the grip, and I use that term very carefully, in the grip of fear. As I go to the store and eye meets eye above the mask, you see sheer terror in people's eyes. In fact, with some persons, as one walks toward them, they, they back off as though you are an approaching monster. Um, and I hear in people's conversation a despair that takes in tomorrows as if, you know, it's not what is happening only. It is where is this going to go? This despair, the feeling of no way out. We are at a universal level trapped. No way out. And it brings the mental darkness. It brings the, the sense of... Um, I'm an outcast of life. Everything a few weeks ago was alive, and now wherever I turn, I feel, feel it's dead. So this psalm has a lot to say to us, a lot to say. Here is a man who is filled with hope. He is filled, in fact, with triumph, expectancy of salvation at every possible level. There, the key to the verse, a key to the psalm is right here. And, and I have to say, then, where does, does David find such a hope? This expectancy of God's good, uh, where, where does his strength come from? Now, I want you to hear me very carefully, and I'm not mad at anybody. In fact, my heart weeps for the people I'm talking about. I want to embrace you into this program. What I find amazing, and I use that word carefully, is that many Christians, and, and I accept them as my brothers, sisters in Christ, 
the many Christians, they have the same fear and the same hopeless despair as anyone in the world would have. Listening to their conversation, I would not see any difference between the Christian and the person that as yet has not come to faith in Christ. Well, and, and some, and they, they have approached members of our group here, come sometimes to, to my associate pastors who are down there in San Antonio, and, and the question, this is, the person came with that look, really, of sheer terror on their face, a believer, and they said, do you believe this is God's judgment upon us? And, and they, that was their, oh, what? I was going to say anchor in life. That is no anchor in life. Um, that that, that is, is part of the despair. To think, is, is that where I, I've got to turn? That now in the midst of all that is happening around me and in my own head and heart, I, I'm, I'm questioning, is this God? Is he mad with us? Are we facing the anger of God that, that he's judging us? Is that, is, that, is that the gospel? Is that the good news that will change a man's life forever? And of course, others who hold certain views about the future, they say, is this the beginning of the great tribulation? And they've been reading um, some books, maybe too much, and they're beginning to say that, that you know, that, is this the great tribulation? We miss the rapture. Oh, I say, what what torment you must be living in. If, if that's it, if that's how you look at what is happening around us, if, if that's your focus, then no wonder you have the same fear as I find in the world. Such persons, and I say, I love you. Actually, I've been where you're at. I, that's where I started out um, nearly 70 years ago, believing that sort of thing. I know where you're at. There's no platform for hope. You've got nowhere to build hope. Same fear. Um, no, no place to rise above fear. In fact... Many see the gospel as um, actually being afraid of God, afraid of God. Uh, some it's a terror of God. That is that He is angry because of my sin, and He's only He's itching to punish because of my sin. But somehow Jesus is portrayed as saving us from God. Now that leaves us without a holy Trinity, but. But people believe that. And so they, they come to Jesus to be saved from God. Because if God ever gets hold of them, then, then it's apocalypse. And, and so we, we're believing Jesus because God is not trustworthy. God is angry. God will punish. And, and even such Christians live their lives that if they make a mistake, they're plunged back into the great possibility of punishment. Come, come on. Where is any concept of goodness? Where, where do I have any faith if I believe God himself is against me and there's an argument in the Trinity, Jesus wants to save us? What? You see, such persons came 
into the Christian faith based on fear. They, they were afraid of punishment. They were terrified of their own guilt. They came to a Jesus that they believed would save them from an angry God the Father and save them from the terrors that awaited after death. That's how you came to Jesus. That's where it started. That was the gospel to you. Well, then, how can you build anything on that except further fear? If that's where the roots are, what the tree's going to be? Fear, fear. And, and the moment anything happens, I mean, really and truly, we, we were living a few weeks ago in a very different world and, and just scrape the surface and we find underneath a seething fear when everything seems to be collapsing around us. Nowhere to hold on to, no sense of a faith that can grasp onto the goodness of God and know that all is well, for the gospel is the good news. <laughs> it's the good time. The angel said it at the birth of Jesus. It's the good news of a great joy, and it brings peace to all people. And let me put the gospel to you maybe in a different way. When I see the biblical way, in Romans 2, it says it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. Now, maybe we should deal with that word repentance, because that's at the heart of a lot of all the stuff we've just been saying. Repentance, the English word repentance, has no place in the Bible whatsoever. In fact, it's anti-gospel. And it, I won't go into its history, how it got there. But essentially, the word in English means that you do penance over and over and over again in an attempt to make God like you. Uh, as I say, that is anti-gospel. No, let, let's go to the Greek word, because there's no word in English. It's always been translated with that hideous, corrupt word, repentance. And also, can I point out, it says the goodness of God leads you to repentance, where in many areas it, they're, they're taught that it's repentance that leads you to his goodness. I heard a pastor say just the other day, he said, well, they have now come to Christ so God can love them. What? Why do you think we ever turn from sin? Why do we ever come to the gospel? It begins in the love of God. It begins in the goodness of God. And it is that goodness that leads us to repentance. We don't earn goodness. We don't earn the love of God by repenting. Huh. But anyway, repent. What's it really mean? The Greek word is metanoia. And I guess we just better stick with it because there's nothing translated into English to really say what it means. Metanoia, hear me very carefully. Metanoia means that you are thinking and reasoning together with God's mind and thoughts and reason. Did you hear that? Metanoia means that you... You think together with God's mind, that is his thought, his intention, his desires, 
That's the logic of God, the reasoning of God. You think together with him. You, you accept his thoughts as final. And I adjust my mind to his mind and I think together with him. You know, there's that verse in Isaiah 55 where God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Oh boy, have I heard that. <laughs> People, you know, when something terrible happens, they say, well, you know, God's thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. Why don't we read the Bible instead of quoting half a sentence? What it is saying is that you come down on your sin and expect punishment and you expect the rage of God against your guilt. But he said, that's what you think. My thoughts are not your thoughts. And he goes on to speak of the freeness of his grace and his goodness. Yes, he's totally reverse to our thoughts. He's totally reverse to religion. And he is telling us that when we realize who he is, that he is not against us. He doesn't hate us. He is not a God <clears throat> poised for punishment. No, he is good. And goodness is together with love. We're still actually talking where we started last week of what is the meaning of God's love. We, we are now going alongside with this other word which overlaps with love goodness and when we realize god is good god is love that is a shift in our mind that i'll say it is cosmic because we are now thinking concerning god as god knows god to be and we are thinking with god as he thinks of us um some have translated metanoia as a paradigm shift. And yeah, I can go with that. A paradigm is or that, that mass of ideas and thoughts and concepts and imaginations, how we define life and how we say this is what it's all about. When I realize who God is and allow the gospel to bring to me the newness of how he thinks of him, knows himself, and how he thinks and knows us, I realize that I have been totally, utterly wrong in darkness, believing lies that originated with the serpent in the Garden of Eden. Yes, it's a paradigm shift. To now begin to define life, to define God and define myself in terms of his love and understand his thoughts and reasoning toward us. Well, it begins really right in the verse I'm now quoting that the goodness of God leads us to repentance. You see, goodness, and I'll tell you what goodness is in a minute, but it's really there. It says leads. Hmm. It's, let, let me anticipate a little bit and head on that word lead because gentleness, kindness, that's the essence of goodness. But leads, it, that is goodness has come where we are, not to punish us, but to lead us. Here is gentleness and kindness with passion. He won't give up. 
He is coming to lead us and lead us to this radical change of mind which is based on thinking together with God. Um, and so he's embracing us in his leading of us. Actually, the Greek word there for lead is lead as a shepherd leads a sheep. It takes me to the parable of the lost sheep immediately, which was very much in the mind of Jesus all through the Gospels. It comes up more than once. That, that the shepherd has this passion, this love passion, this goodness passion to come where the lost sheep is because the sheep is so precious to him. And then to take that sheep and himself to be the way home. That, that's it. Goodness comes to us. Before we know anything, God's love begins to awaken us. The goodness of God comes to us and gently leads us until our eyes are open and we realize a paradigm shift that is as different as heaven from earth. On that platform, you build the hope of this psalm. Do you understand that? When you know that God, Father and Son and Holy Spirit, Father and Son and Holy Spirit, are united Holy Trinity in passion to bring us into union with themselves. That, that's the foundation, that's the gospel, that's the good news. The good news is God is for us. God is refusing to be God without us. He loves us. The gospel is that God comes where we are to take him where, we, where he is. That's our platform. That's where you begin. And then you begin to interpret all of life as it's happening through that lens, the lens of truth. It's, it's what David said in Psalm 23, which, as I said, is close to this in, in time and history, where he says at the end, surely goodness and loving kindness will pursue me. And the word is strong there, relentlessly pursue me all the days of my life is saying surely and that that could be translated only um, it's almost as if he's saying you, you can take this one to the bank I mean this is absolutely for sure it was the foundation the platform that I built my life on God is for us he is good toward us he is love I build on that so surely goodness, goodness and loving kindness, they will follow me, pursue me, lead me all the days of my life. Okay, what is this platform of goodness? <laughs> um, in a sense, that's difficult to answer. Because we have taken the word goodness and made it a nothing word. Um, I, I think we, we put some niceness into it. But we use it so 
we just say good off the cuff you know what like people say have a good day well okay I think I know what you mean but a you've got no power to do anything about that I'm glad you didn't say have a bad day but good day it, it's it's got no it's got no muscle to it it's a sort of empty word um and and then we say of people, and it's a sort of catch-all word. We say, well, he's a good man. And I really don't know what they mean. And usually when they say it, it's not the time to ask. But what do they mean by a good man? Um, you see, Jesus said, do you remember to the rich young ruler, there is no one good but God. It's a massive statement. He said, be careful who you call good because goodness solely originates in God. God is good. And therefore, you just don't fling it around, you know, flop it on people and say, this is a good person. Um, no, that God is good. When we say goodness, the, these verses that we read, if I had, you know, despaired unless I had believed to see the goodness of God. Well, it says it there, of God, but let me underscore it. It is speaking of the very being of God. As God is love, so God is good. And we're speaking, could I put it like this? Uh, we're speaking of deity, deity. That is, when I speak of God's substance and being, we're talking of deity the divine well that deity is agape that deity is goodness and therefore we can't just flop it around you know it's a good day and i mean I'm, I'm being picky now but i want to make a point when when, when moses asked god to show him his glory when, when God's answer was, yes, I will, I will cause my goodness to pass before you. So the glory of God, according to God himself, is his goodness. And we've talked before about that word glory. And yes, it, it means majesty and the, the high honor that goes with it. But the first definition of that word uh, is opinion the glory is a person's opinion that by which they live and therefore he is saying that God's opinion arises from his goodness but it means his opinion of you is that you are the focus of his goodness that's his glory that separates God out from every fantasy God we can ever imagine. This God, religion doesn't even know this God, cannot imagine this God, has never talked about this God. Because this God has an opinion, an opinion that focuses out from his own goodness upon you. His opinion is that you are the focus of his goodness. And another word which would need to be in our 
definition of glory would be intention. That is, God, in his opinion, it's not just an opinion, because if you, you know, someone can sit in a gathering, you know, and everybody's giving their opinion. And, and, and some chap would say, well, that's just my opinion. Meaning, I have it and I'll hold it, but I doubt I'll ever do anything about it. No, the glory means it is a dynamic opinion. That is, the intention of God is in his opinion. That's his glory. He's not wrapped up in himself. He doesn't regard you with a disinterest. There comes the energy of God's opinion, which is bestowing his goodness upon you and holding you in that goodness and never letting you go. That is the truth today. Okay, hold that. that that's glory, the opinion, the intention. But then how do I define goodness? It, it, it takes a lot to define it. it it's, it's, see, it's part of agape in the sense that agape has many facets like a diamond. Well, goodness has in itself many facets. One of the simplest definitions of goodness is beauty. Beauty. And maybe we'll talk about that at length some other time. But beauty, excellence or desirable. There is something about God that he, he's the hope of nations. He, he's desirable. Any, anybody I've spoken to that wants nothing to do with God, they only know the God of religion. And they're shocked when I say, I don't want to know that God either. The real God, this God I'm now talking of, the God who is love, the God who is good, the God who is passionate in leading you to join him in knowing him as he knows himself. There is a beauty that is beyond words. There is an excellence that causes everything within me to turn toward him. Beauty. And goodness would then be described as gentle. Now you can use that also to describe agape. But I think one way of looking at goodness is it's, it's agape in motion. It's agape in action. This is how you meet agape. It's gentle. I know that doesn't fit that angry God we were talking about a minute ago. But, but God, by his nature, that is his isness, his very being, he's gentle. Um, he cares. He is the original caregiver. And he cares for you. And there would be subsections to that of protection and provision. That, that's God. That's who he is. In fact, inside of God are all the mother attributes that would hold the child and with gentleness hold the child and yet be ferocious in terms of any enemy approach. He cares. That's, that's his goodness. His goodness. And 
His goodness is therefore also called tender. You might read that in places, not too often, but he speaks of his tender love, tender love. It's actually the Hebrew word there is soft. Again, you are back to the mother image of holding the baby. And there's the softness of love in, in, in the very softness of that protection. Did you realize that is the God who is holding you right now? Gentle, the God who cares for you, the God who is tender in his love. Or another word that fits these definitions is compassion. Calm is the Latin word with, and passion means necessary to suffer. And, and so compassion means I suffer with you. Um, God comes where we are, puts his arms around us, and takes to himself our suffering, our pain, our fear. I tell you, maybe you could sum all these words up and, and say, he is safe. Now there's a thought. He is safe. He's not about to suddenly become someone else. He's not suddenly going to turn into a monster. He's not going to suddenly reject you. And all the horrid things that go with that. He is safe. What you have seen is what he unbeginningly, unendingly, and now is. And he's safe. You can place yourself in his hands. He will never hurt you. He is infinitely harmless. That's the meaning of good. It's interesting, one of the major meanings of the word good is kind. He's kind. Including the word generous. The, the word kind, did you know the meaning of the word kind in English? It, I mean, it's an English word, but it, it comes from and means to be useful. It's love being useful or you could say, completely suited to my present need. A kind person is one who comes where you are and is to you and for you what you need in that moment. Well, that's our God. That's who he is. It's interesting. This is a bit off for giving a definition of God's goodness, but... This word in Hebrew was also used to describe aged wine because they said the taste of aged wine is rich. It's a rich taste, pleasant to taste. There's nothing harsh, there's nothing bitter about it. Well, God is aged wine. He is pleasantness, gentleness, kindness, softness, tenderness, and for sure there is nothing harsh or bitter. He used it of himself in another way, which I'll throw in here, and, and that is meaning life, livingness, and creativity. And creativity that has achieved its end. 
So Genesis chapter 1 is full of the word. God saw what he had made first day and he saw and he said it is good. And the second day he said it is good, it is good. And when he looked at it all he said it is very good. Uh, and, and so good is connected. It is love creating. It is goodness producing a world that reflects the goodness of God. And in the Psalms, I believe it's 108, it goes through the whole of creation to say how good God is. And I, I, I've read the Psalm looking at my garden and realize how everything is arranged in creation so so that the, everything from bird to butterfly to insect, they all have their place and, and having their place, they serve one another. God is good and his creation all fits together. God is good. I must emphasize this. This is not the word we use in everyday conversation. This is the being of God. This is deity. God is good, which means it's not a passing mood. The moment you see is, well, that means is. And it will be is tomorrow, even as it was yesterday. And it will be is in a trillion years. Is, 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 is. God is good. It speaks of his very being, his essential nature. It's not a mood he has. Yeah. I saw that down in New Orleans um, once. And again, they're good kids. They were standing on the street corner, sharing the love of God. But they had the big sign to draw attention. They said, God's in a good mood today. <laughs> okay, I better get in on this because tomorrow, who knows? No, God is good. God is love. There's no mood attached to it. It's not a passing whim that he has, and it's, it's passing. Um, Psalm 25.8 says, God is. No, I'm sorry. It says, good is I am. And Psalm 75 says, surely God is good. Psalm 106, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Psalm 145, God is good to all. And that's where some people get upset. He's not supposed to be good to all. Well, I'm sorry, he is. He is. God is good to all. You see, he owns his goodness. That's another way of looking at is. If God is good, then he owns his good. You know what I mean? You, you don't have an investment in it. That is, I can't say, well, you know, I read my Bible through five times and I fasted and prayed for two years. And, and so, you know, God now loves me. God is good to me meaning I earned it. I've got an investment here. God gave 50%, but I believed. And when I believed, God became good. If I hadn't have believed, he wouldn't have been good. No, 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 no. That's not in the Bible. That's all earning, deserving, all of the law and legalism that belong to the Pharisees and to religion. God owns his goodness. He doesn't love us he is not good toward us because we've done something to earn it he's not good toward us because we have prayed enough god is good 
which means I can't own it. He owns it. I can't earn it. It is given as free gift and given to all. The goodness of God is upon all people. And Jesus said that, did he not, in Matthew 7, he, speaking of the goodness uh, of the Father, and, and he's uh, describing him as surrounded by his children and giving good gifts out of his goodness. And, and then he says to, to all, because he said he makes the rain fall upon the fields of the just or the righteous and upon the fields of the wicked. He doesn't... He doesn't, you don't fill out a form to describe your spirituality and that will determine how much rain you get this year. Um, you, you follow me? God doesn't say, well, I'm going to bless those fields, uh, that farmer, because he's, he's good. He, I, I, uh, he's a godly man, so I, I'll give him rain. This chap next door is a wicked fellow, and I won't give him rain. No, it isn't like that, is it? We, we had a thunderstorm last night, and, and, and it came through, and it was completely oblivious of where it poured its good rain. Oblivious. It just rolled on by, filling our fields with nitrogen from the lightning and pouring out the goodness of the rain. And everybody got it, even atheists. God is good. God is good. And God, goodness, became flesh. The Son of God, God from God, from unbeginning. Good, as the Father is good and the Spirit is good. The Son became flesh, joined with our humanity in the womb of the Virgin Mary. Goodness made footprints in our sand. Goodness walked our streets. Goodness spoke. And, and, and really we could uh, talk about a paradigm shift. You see, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That is, there's no other God that's different to me. Um, <clears throat> the Father isn't different to me. I'm not here having had an argument with my Father as to saving you. Um, I'm here representing him. If, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. My goodness is God's goodness, and God's goodness is mine. You meet the goodness of God in Jesus. That's what it's all about. And, and, and I, I stand, and we've gotten so used to it, but he sat at table with tax collectors and sinners, and, and we know that they were the scum of the earth, tax collectors, Really, I don't know a, a, a part of society that's bad enough to compare them. Um, they were the <coughs> hated, they were the pariah dogs of society. Despised beyond anything we know here in civilized today. Um, and, and to even talk on the street was actually forbidden. You couldn't talk to a tax collector. People, you know, you were applauded for spitting at them. You wouldn't... You'd never touch them deliberately. And Pharisees went home and took a bath if they accidentally touched one because they believed that the wickedness of the tax collector was like a disease 
that would come upon them. They almost wore a mask so that the tax collectors couldn't breathe on them. That's true. And Jesus not only touched them, but he sat down and ate with them, which in those days was making a covenant of solidarity with them and 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 saying to them in in fact i'm here to save you to deliver you at every level um now it's no wonder that religion backed off you see they practice social distancing with tax collectors and, and jesus didn't he puts his arms around them loves them and that they bring do you remember on another occasion religion brought the the adulteress and flung her down like a sack of potatoes and said we caught this woman in the act of adultery because that needs investigating but um and moses said stone her we want to stone her what about you and do you remember jesus who is goodness he is goodness doesn't have it he is it he kneels down in the dust and he doodles in the sand as if i believe he was so horrified goodness couldn't bear to look upon this hatred toward a woman who was broken and in desperate need of divine love and and do you remember he they, they go away and, and Jesus turns to the woman and says, where, where are your accusers? And she said, no, nobody is. And you hear this. This is God in flesh looking at a public adulteress. And he said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And then I wonder how that would fit in, in churches today. Because she didn't say the sinner's prayer, did she? She didn't sign a decision card. She never walked forward. She didn't do any of that circus tricks. She just looked in the face of goodness himself. And goodness said, "This, you see, this is metanoia, to begin to think as God thinks and see as God sees. This is how God thinks. He sits down with the scum of the earth sinners and loves them and embraces them. And he says to this woman, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. And of all his healings, and he healed all that were sick, the scripture says. And he healed, but when Peter summed it up, it says, Jesus went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. It was a holistic goodness. That wherever he met brokenness there, it was faced with his goodness. And so it is. And with you. Look, th this is the word of God to you. Philippians 1.6, if you, you want it, that he who began a good work in you will complete it in the day of Jesus Christ. That is, goodness began a good work in you. That means his love came to rest in you. 
You are held by his love. You are indwelt by his love. And he's not going to quit with you until you are participating to the full in his goodness, which means you're participating in God himself. But remember, goodness, like love, is the very deity. And we, we, he's in us. David said, the reason that I, that I could say what I said at the beginning and the reason that I have hope in the middle of this threat and, and mental darkness and confusion is that I believe to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. He believed to see, believed. Well, we could spend a lot of time there, but enough to say he trusted the report of God's goodness. He trusted. Trust is leaning your weight into. And, and, and David trusted what God had revealed of himself. David responded to with trust. And he trusted what God said concerning him. God has come to us in Jesus, and we are called to trust in Jesus. And in trusting in Jesus, then we participate in the goodness that is ever toward us. He believed, believed. The Hebrew there for believe is aman, or amen in English, we say. That's interesting, isn't it? The word believe in Hebrew is amen. And the word amen means that is the way it is, is so, but strong is so. The word means to support. It means a firm, it means established or certain or sure. Uh, actually, it was used to describe the strong arms of a parent holding a baby. And therefore that baby could totally rest because the strong, firm arms, the arms that were certain and sure, were holding. And so Aman means rest. Rest into the arms of God. He is who he says he is. He does what he says he does. Rest, rest. You rest in the strength of who God is. Um, believe it, it means um, agreement. So that might be the simplest way for us to understand. You agree. Again, we're back to metanoia. You no longer agree with that whole cloud of ideas and beliefs that you once did um, you now agree with the mind of God you are now in the process of saying yes 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 to the thoughts of God concerning himself and concerning you it's agreement it's yes it's opening yourself to him and, and you can only open yourself to him and, and to the degree that you know him. So just do that. 
you might not know God very well. That's okay. He knows you very well. And, and, and just open to what you know. If what I'm saying here tonight is, is the most you've ever heard, well, trust. Say yes, agree, open yourself to that, and it will grow and grow. Well, one last thing. The word believe, it's of course belief, and that is a very old English word. You need to come from England really to understand that. It's, what, ninth century English and there's two Anglo-Saxon words here, be and leaf. And be, which comes right down into modern English, well, it means to be, to live. But leaf, that's an old English word. It was used um, by lovers, actually, my leaf. Actually, you might have heard that in those old movies, British movies, talk about the old kings and whatever and you might find a lover saying to his beloved my leaf um, or my leave would be another part of it uh, and it meant well I suppose today my darling but the actual my, my treasure so belief means I be I live in accord with that which I treasure and in this case, goodness, the goodness of God, I tre is there a greater wealth, is there a greater riches to know that you are the personal focus of God's goodness and he is good and he is good toward you. That's treasure, that's wealth beyond anything. And I'm not just being a ranter now. That is a fact, that is beyond anything money can buy. I heard... A fam I won't mention his name, but a famous actor said just uh, a few days ago that he said he, he had money and possessions that anyone in their right mind would say they have found happiness. And he says, there's not one thing there that has made me happy. In fact, I am depressed. And, and I know, you know, evangelists say that in every evangelistic sermon, but it is true. We are speaking of real wealth. We're speaking of true treasure, real riches that actually bring to me that sense of rest and peace. He said, I believed, I trusted, I rested myself in this God. And he said, I, I did, he said, I believed that I would see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Land of the living. Quite an expression. What does land of the living mean? It means the land where you are while you're still alive. <laughs> the land of the living, as opposed to the land of the dead, which in the Old Testament they called Hades or Sheol, um, the grave, the land of the dead. But no, he says, I, I, I read an article um, in the last few weeks about all that's going on here, and, and it was supposed to give hope to believers and it was saying of all the terrible things that are happening here and the health threats and everything else and, and then it says well at least we can sit back and say it will be better in heaven oh lord help us and i mean that lord give us help to think that that's what the gospel has been reduced to 
that I sit here in fear, sit here with the threat of physical plague, sit here with everything collapsing around me, and the best a preacher can tell me is it will be better in heaven. Aye, boy. No. In the land of the living. Jesus didn't come to give us pie in the sky and tell us about a land where everything will be wonderful one day, someday, over the hilltop, when you die. No, he came to reveal his goodness in the land of the living, right here. And what was right here to David at that time? It was the place of threat. It was the place of abandonment. It was the place of anxieties and fears and dark mental monsters, hopeless, and all those other words. Well, he says right here, in the middle of the darkness, now reveal your goodness that I may see, I may see your goodness in the land of the living. So goodness isn't abstract. It's not a vague, cloudy, you know, God floating in the ether. He's good. No, this is not abstract. It's holistic. It, It means that in my spirit, my core being, I know the goodness of God. It means that my mind is made clear because in metanoia, I've joined my mind with the mind of God himself. My emotions dance in the joy and the peace of God. And my body is exposed to goodness that we've already seen is a healing goodness. Yes, land of the living that I might see. Might see it, might see it. Do you you hear what he's saying? See it, it's not a theory. It's not a theory. I see it. I mean, I see it in action. It isn't something I know about and say, oh yes, I know that. No, this is action now inside time and space. It is goodness on display. It is goodness being experienced. It is divine goodness. God goodness inside of me so that I'm participating in God goodness. Or as the New Testament says, Jesus said, I am in you and you are in me and we together are in the Father. You are inside God. See, it isn't that you're just trying to be a nice chap. See, it isn't that, well, um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be good, morally good, trying to be nice. No, this is the goodness of God that is now in you, and that goodness is a mighty strength inside of us. Look, sit back for a minute. I'm almost finished. But, but sit back. Be still. Realize this. You are inside the goodness of God. His kindness and his tender love that embraces you, protects you, provides for you, and makes a path for you, is creative in your life for good. You are inside of him. 
as if you were sitting at the bottom of an ocean of goodness. Imagine the Pacific Ocean to be a vast sea fathoms of goodness and you are at the bottom and you're breathing underwater goodness can you feel that that that's what this is saying or maybe a better one for you would be you're in an energy field of goodness so that your life is alive with an energy of goodness right now Or as the New Testament says, for me to live is Messiah, the Christ. I live, but I live with a wink, for I live yet not I. It is Christ, Messiah, who lives in me. Or there's another one in the Psalms where where it says his shield And that word, shield, is one that describes all the way around. It's not something you hold in front of you. It's all the way around. You're in a wraparound shield for the dynamic goodness of God. And you don't have to work for it. It's the way God is. And when you believe who God is in the face of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit opened your eyes to see that this is the way it is. And in, in, in today's world, how can I put this? Um, we're off the map. I mean, that's the confusion in government. They're, they've never been here before and they don't know what to do. And I think that's the confusion and the grief that people have. We've suddenly lost our bearings. Well, let me introduce you to Jesus who says, I am the way or he could have said I am the map I am the map when there's nothing to give you direction anchor yourself in the God who is love is goodness towards you now I've been off the map it's a weird feeling if you've spent your life in civilization you can do it out in Oregon um I went into the Cascades, I guess they were. Uh, anyway, I went up in the mountains, and the pastor knew his way around up there. And we were on horses, and you're going along this path, ascending, ascending into the wooded, deeply forested mountains. And suddenly there's a sign on the side of the track. It says, you are now leaving all uh, mapped areas there are no maps beyond this point that is they were saying we don't have a clue where you're going and if you get lost you're on your own that's a weird feeling what did I do at that point I took my eyes off the forest and it's suddenly threatening darkness and I kept my eyes on that pastor who said he knew where he was going But in Africa, I have been, of course, off the map. Africa is not mapped, uh, not in the jungle trails. And there, indeed, you have a guide and you do not look around you to see if you can find a better way. You keep your eyes, you know, don't focus on the chaos. 
You focus on the one who tells you in the middle of this chaos he is the goodness. Focus. There are some people who spend most of their 24-hour existence dipping between CNN and Fox News to get the latest and, and they go through the whole news cycle so they get the latest all the time, all the time, all the time and wonder why their life is in fear and dread. No, they did a study. I've got to throw this in. It was a study done by, do you remember the Boston bombing some time ago? And they, they took those who were actually in the bombing. They were there when it happened. Do you remember? Uh, the, it was the, the runners on the street and the bomb blew up and a terrible thing. Well, the people who were standing in that crowd and the people running the race, they, they took them, you know, interviewed them and examined them. But then they took a similar number from those who had not been anywhere near the event, but they had been watching it on the news cycle and saw all the images and heard the continual commentary. And the two groups were tested for um, PSD, what, what do you call it, um, traumatic stress disorder. And they found the people who had not been there who only saw it on TV but saw its images again and again, they had a worse case of um, stress disorder than those who were actually there. Now there's a thought. What you focus on, what appeals to your imagination, guides your life to the point where you can have a more serious case of stress disorder by watching television than by actually being where the bomb went off. Huh. No wonder the whole scripture says, Behold! That's an old English word. It means stop. Arrest your attention. Focus yourself. Behold. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. Behold his goodness and his kindness and his compassion that is now dynamically your life, your shield, going ahead of you, standing behind you, and nurturing you in your deepest self. I would, said David, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of I am in the land of the living. Another blessing of God who is almighty love, who is goodness. His blessing be upon you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Open the eyes of your understanding to see who he is and who you are in him. So I bless you. That is the way it is.